us join in our call to worship. We are God's people, God's good people, of every orientation, gender, and ethnicity, people of peace and love. We are God's people, God's beautiful people, brown as earth, pale as moonlight, black as night, red as sunset, golden as sunlight. We are God's living rainbow. We are God's people, God's gifted people, who hear the cries of our ancestors that justice be done and all be welcomed to gather around the table. We are God's people, God's sacred people, celebrating the joy and struggle of a faith journey begun long ago. Let us rejoice and be glad.
Well, friends, every time that we gather, we come remembering that we cannot come before God unless we are first honest with ourselves, honest about who we are and about the mistakes that we all have made and about the ways that we have fallen short of God's call in our lives, but believing in the deep and abounding grace that is at the core of our faith. Let us confess our sin together, asking and trusting in God's forgiveness. Let us pray. Merciful God, in your gracious presence, we confess our sin and the sin of this world. Although Christ is among us as our peace, we are a people divided against ourselves as we cling to the values of a broken world. The profit and pleasure we pursue lay waste the land and pollute the seas and air. The fears and jealousies that we harbor set neighbor against neighbor, a nation against nation. We abuse your good gifts of imagination and freedom, of intellect and reason, and have turned them into bonds of oppression. God, have mercy upon us. Heal and forgive us. Set us free to serve you in the world as agents of your reconciling love in Jesus Christ. Amen. The God who challenges us is also the God who encourages us. And the God who confronts us is also the God who accepts us. So be assured that God is with us even now, accepting, guiding, and forgiving. Friends, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Indeed, loved and forgiven by God, we share a sign of Christ's peace with one another as a reminder that God continues to knit us together as a community of faith from those joining us online to those here in the sanctuary. If you are joining us online, we hope you'll take this opportunity to let us know that you are worshiping with us today, whether via the QR code on your screen or on the link that is just below, and to share ways in which we might continue connecting with you. And I also invite all of us here in the sanctuary to turn and to greet those seated around you with the sign of Christ's peace. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And also with you. So let us pass the peace of Christ to our neighbor. Also with you, Rocky. Well, good morning and welcome to worship here at Fourth Presbyterian Church on this fourth Sunday after Pentecost as we celebrate New Members Sunday as well as Pride Sunday on this last weekend in June. It's wonderful to have you worshiping with us today and we would love for you to find ways to get connected in the life of our church community. For those of you here in the sanctuary, I invite you to find and fill out the friendship pads that you can find in each pew. And if you are newer or are interested in getting more involved in the church, we do hope that you will let us know on those pads so that we can be in touch with you. I'd also like to take a moment to highlight in particular a few upcoming opportunities from the closing pages of your bulletin if you are looking for ways to learn or volunteer or to build community. 
Later on today, both friends and members of Fourth Church are walking in the Pride Parade with other members of the Chicago Coalition of Welcoming Churches. If you are interested in joining the Fourth Church contingent, we invite you to stop by the Widen Our Welcome information table at coffee hour for directions about where to meet. And also later on this morning, our junior high youth and their leaders who are here in these front two pews and worship this morning are leaving for St. Louis to spend five days working with the Amen St. Louis Ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. So we wish them a good journey and wonderful experiences together. And we're grateful for all of the mission trips that are taking place this summer. Finally, also know that after worship today, anyone wishing to pray with one of our church's deacons are invited to a time of prayer immediately following the service located in Stone Chapel, which is the chapel located just to the right of the pulpit. And you're also invited to stop by coffee hour, which you can find out the double doors to your left in Anderson Hall. So again, friends, welcome to worship here at Fourth Presbyterian Church.
Let us pray. Loving God, fountain of every blessing, open us to your life-giving word and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that living water may flow through our hearts, a spring of hope for a thirsty world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 86, verses 1 to 10 and 16 to 17. Listen now for God's word to us. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am devoted to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all day long. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my cry of supplication. In the day of my trouble, I call on you, for you will answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the child of your serving girl. Show me a sign of your favor so that those who hate me may see it and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Our second scripture this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 21, verses 8 through 21. Verse 8 begins right after the birth of the long-awaited, much-promised Isaac. 
I'm reading from the Common English Bible this morning. Listen now for God's word. The boy, Isaac, grew and stopped nursing. On the day that he stopped nursing, Abraham prepared a huge banquet. Sarah saw Hagar's son laughing, the one Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham. So she said to Abraham, send this servant away with her son. This servant's son won't share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. This upset Abraham terribly because the boy was his son. God said to Abraham, don't be upset about the boy and your servant. Do everything Sarah tells you to do because your descendants will be traced through Isaac. But I will make of your servant's son a great nation too because he is also your descendant. Abraham got up early in the morning, took some bread and a flask of water and gave it to Hagar. He put the boy in the shoulder sling and sent her away. She left and wandered through the desert near Beersheba. Finally, the water in the flask ran out and she put the boy down under one of the desert shrubs and she walked away from him about as far as a bowshot and sat down telling herself, I can't bear to see the boy die. She sat at a distance, cried out in grief and wept. God heard the boy's cries and God's messenger called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid, God has heard the boy's cries over there. Get up, pick up the boy and take him by the hand because I will make of him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well. She went over, filled the water flask and gave the boy a drink. God remained with the boy. He grew up, lived in the desert and became an expert archer. He lived in the Paran desert and his mother found him an Egyptian wife. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few short weeks ago here in worship, we commissioned folks from Forth who were going on one of our summer trips, including, as Matt has already mentioned, all of our junior high youth and adult leaders sitting in the first two pews in the front of the sanctuary this morning and are leaving right after this service for St. Louis. During that time of commissioning, I offhandedly remarked that we needed one more adult leader for that trip. Uh, and within hours, I had six different people email me or come up to me and say that they were willing to go. So I drew a couple of conclusions from that episode. First was that I should do this more often. Stand up in front of you, tell you when we need youth ministry leaders. Secondly, this is a great congregation filled with lots and lots of people who are eager to support young people. Too many people in this case, actually, the arrangements with our host in St. Louis had already been made. We really only could take one more person. So I had to pick, I had to choose, which I did, it was great. But then I had to call five people, some of you are hearing this now, and say to them, thank you so much, but, but you weren't picked. <laughs> that's the part that stinks. The part where you're not picked. And that happens all the time doesn't it? We are not picked far more often than we are picked. The odds 
almost always stacked against us. Hundreds of applicants for a single job means that your resume is not likely to be the one that comes to the top of the pile. 61,221 high school seniors applied to Harvard last year. 61,221. 1,984 were admitted. 97% of the applicants were not picked. It goes further than this. None of the comments that I've submitted to the YouTube videos of various fountain pen channels have yet to be picked to be read in the next video and receive a free pen. <laughs> None of them ever will, probably. I understand the math, but I'm still a little disappointed. It stinks to not get picked. Most of the time, we don't get picked. Call us Ishmael, because Ishmael didn't get picked either. Ishmael, son of Hagar the Egyptian, is not the chosen child. His younger half-brother Isaac is chosen instead of him. Ishmael's role in the story is to be the one who was not picked, and the entire story is about the people who were picked. The story starts in Genesis 12 when God plucks a childless couple, Abram and Sarai, out of obscurity and promises inconceivably to make a great nation out of them, to bless them and to bless all of the families of the earth through them. And from that point on, the remainder of the biblical story is about this people, the people God picked, how God promised them a land, how God delivered them from bondage in Egypt and gave them a law, a way of life to live by, how God brought them into that promised land, how God sent prophets to them, how God accompanied them in exile and then led them home again. The Bible is the story of the picked people, all of it, even through Jesus, because Jesus comes with a genealogy of this same people. Jesus tells people that his primary mission is to his fellow Israelites, to his fellow chosen people. So the early church is made up entirely of those people. That is until some of the non-picked people show up and start to participate. And guess what? It turns out they're picked too. Their pastor, the Apostle Paul, writes some of them a letter in Galatians and rehashes this Sarah and Hagar Isaac and Ishmael's story as an allegory. And he says to these Gentile believers in Galatia, you, my friends, are children of the promise like Isaac. Ishmael, according to this analogy, is not. I'm inclined to treat this distinction with scorn. It cuts against most of my instincts and what I want to believe. Isaac and Ishmael, children of the promise, children of the flesh, the picked and the not picked, it all seems kind of arrogant to me. But then the promise of God doesn't operate on human criteria. This child of promise, this Isaac, is a miracle. Isaac shouldn't be. Isaac's an impossibility. He's the punchline to a joke that his geriatric parents have laughed about for years. Abraham and Sarah, from the first time they're introduced in this story, are defined by two main characteristics. They're old and they're childless. 
And it's worse for Sarah than it is for Abraham because the story doesn't tell us they're childless. The story tells us she's childless. Abraham and Sarah are not the people you pick to found a great people. And yet here is Isaac, as plain as the nose on his mother's face, promised as security for his parents' future and the future of a family of descendants they can't even imagine more numerous than the stars in the sky. Promised and promised again and promised again. Here is Isaac, fully weaned and everything. It's hilarious. That's what his name means. Isaac, the name means laughter. Because at his birth, his mother said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Isaac is the fulfillment of God's promise that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Isaac is the sign that those who mourn are blessed by God because they will be comforted. Isaac is the sign of the promise that the Lord does not see as mortals see who look at the outward appearance. The sign that God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Isaac is all the sign that we need that the grass may wither and the flower may fade but the word of our God will stand forever. Isaac is the sign of that promise. And this promise, the scripture says, is for you. It's for your children. It's for your children's children. Because the promise of God doesn't pick who we would pick. The promise of God comes to those who no one picks, nobody even pays attention to, the overlooked and the passed over, the laughed at, the put off and the put out. The promise of God comes to those without health insurance or an inheritance or a 401k or a house to pass on to their own children. The promise of God comes to those who have more regrets than they have degrees, those who have more days of doubt than they have days of belief. The promise is for the people who can only laugh at it, who can only laugh at being found in a church of all places, wretches who were lost but have been found. Yes, the promise is for you. You, my friends, are children of the promise. And the best thing about this promise is that it is free. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to qualify for it. You don't have to get pre-approved for it. It's a gift. It's free. But that doesn't make it cheap. There's a difference. And Sarah knows that difference deep in her soul. She knows what this promise is worth and what it has cost her and so she will cling to it with her life and she will resist anyone who appears to threaten her Isaac's inheritance. Ishmael is not that child of the promise according to Galatians again but a child of the flesh. Whose flesh? Well, Ishmael is born of Sarah's schemes few chapters earlier, Ishmael is Sarah's hedge against the ridiculousness of this promise that she would have a child of her own at this age. When she'd heard enough of promises without any actual results, Sarah took matters into her own hands and she told Abraham to marry her Egyptian servant and to produce an heir through him. And I wonder what that must have cost Sarah. 
to make that suggestion. I wonder what it must have cost her for Abraham to just be like, okay. I wonder what it must have cost her for it to work. And then to watch her handmaid prepare a nursery for her husband's child. I suspect it cost her a lot. And there came a point where she didn't want to pay anymore. And so she turned on Abraham and she said, this is terrible and it's your fault. And Abraham threw Hagar under the bus in about as much time as it took him to agree to marry her. And then Sarah turned on Hagar and treated Hagar terribly. So badly that Hagar left. Hagar ran away. And that arrangement probably would have suited Sarah just fine. But Hagar came back. Hagar came back and Ishmael was born and Sarah kept waiting. And now her wait is over, thanks be to God. And she's going to make sure that her servant and her son stay away for good this time. It is the laughter that sets Sarah off. Did you catch that? It's the laughter. Sarah sees Ishmael at this banquet and he's laughing. And in response to that laughter, she demands Abraham send him away. Now, some ancient rabbis speculate, commenting on this story, that Ishmael must have been laughing in mockery at Isaac. Or that Ishmael was laughing at the banquet guests. Like, why are you celebrating? I'm the firstborn. The inheritance is mine. The story doesn't say anything like that. The story only says Hagar saw Ishmael laughing. And to Sarah, that laughter is a threat. Her vision at this point in the story of God's promise only has room for one. And Ishmael does not fit the vision of the traditional family that Sarah was promised. So she kicks Ishmael and his mother out of the house. Ishmael is probably a teenager. Despite the story's reference of his mother's shoulder sling, the math of the story suggests he's probably around 17 years old when Sarah kicks him out. Matt mentioned it's the last Sunday of June. It's Pride. It's Pride Month around the world. It's Pride here at Fourth Church. We know very well that the experience of being kicked out of a family because you don't fit somebody else's vision of what a family is and should look like is one that many LGBTQ teenagers are still having. Last year, the Trevor Project released research that showed that LGBTQ youth are overrepresented among young people experiencing homelessness and housing instability in the United States. 28% of LGBTQ youth reported experiencing homelessness or housing instability at some point in their life, 35% among transgender and non-binary youth. 14% of those youth reported that they were kicked out or abandoned and 40% of those said that that was because of their LGBTQ identity. These are more than statistics and research. These are stories, every single one of them. And I don't know, it, it, this may be your story or the story of somebody that you know and somebody that you care deeply about. Maybe the story is not about getting kicked out of the house. Maybe it's a story of hiding until it was safe to come out. Maybe it's a story of a family that wouldn't come to the wedding and doesn't want to visit. Maybe it's a story of harassment and discrimination, threats and even violence. Those stories are multiplying, church. Your story belongs here. Hear that. Your story belongs here. 
just as Ishmael's story belongs here. The church's story is not complete without the stories of LGBTQ persons, just as the story of Abraham and Sarah and their promised child is not complete without the story of Ishmael. It has to be here. Matt mentioned several members of our church are going to the Pride Parade later this morning. They're going to wear matching t-shirts. It's going to be great. If you have time, you should go. It's a way that our church shares the fuller story of God's welcome to all people. Somebody you might see or even run into at the parade this morning uh, is Sarah Cunningham. Sarah Cunningham will be marching with her organization called Free Mom Hugs. My wife and daughter marched with Free Mom Hugs in the Chicago parade in 2019. Free Mom Hugs is what a fuller vision of God's promise for all people looks like in action. In 2015, Sarah, whose son came out to her as a teenager, attended a pride festival and she made a button and put it on her shirt and it just said free mom hugs and then she stood there on the street and she held out her arms for anybody who wanted or needed a hug. Turned out a lot of people needed that. One of them in particular told Sarah that she had not been hugged by her own mother in four years. So free mom hugs went from being a button to an entire organization. And then in 2018, it really took off because Sarah posted this to Facebook. PSA, if you need a mom to attend your same-sex wedding because your biological mom won't, call me. I'm there. I'll be your biggest fan. I'll even bring the bubbles. <laughs> people took her seriously. And so she found herself standing with people at their weddings. And then she found herself officiating weddings. And she found herself unable to keep up with the demand, so she had to recruit more people, and then she started having those people do other things, like send wedding gifts and care packages. That's when my wife Meredith got involved. Sarah and Free Mom Hugs want people to know that they are treasured. Treasured. Even though who they are might not fit in somebody else's vision of what a family is and should look like, they most certainly fit into God's vision of a family. God's vision for God's family includes Ishmael, treasured Ishmael and Hagar. There is still a promise for them and there always has been. Laughter is the meaning of Isaac's name. Ishmael's name has a meaning as well. It means God hears. And so God hears Ishmael and Hagar in the desert, hears in the exact same way that God will hear the descendants of Isaac when they're in bondage in Egypt later in the story. And in the exact same way that God will be with the chosen people through the exodus and exile and everything else, God will be with and will remain with Ishmael and Hagar and their descendants. The story is not complete without them. For the love of God is broader than the measures of the mind, is how our hymn will put it. There is indeed a wideness in God's mercy. That mercy is so wide and so expansive that it's hilarious. And as we sing it, we should be laughing. Laughing that the mercy of God includes all of us. Those of us here in the sanctuary, those of us online, those of us joining the congregation for the first time today, those of us who've been here for many years, we, friends, are children of the promise like Isaac, like Isaac and like so, so many more, like Ishmael too.
Amen. Together now, let us affirm what we believe using words from our denomination's brief statement of faith. We trust in God, the Holy Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life. The Spirit justifies us by grace through faith, sets us free to accept ourselves and to love God and neighbor, and binds us together with all believers in the one body of Christ, the Church. The same spirit who inspired the prophets and apostles rules our faith and life in Christ through scripture, engages us through the word proclaimed, claims us in the waters of baptism, feeds us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation, and calls women and men to all ministries of the church. With believers in every time and place, we rejoice that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And as we affirm our faith together, we give gratitude for all that knits us together as a community of faith. Today is a special day in the life of our community as we welcome those who have made the commitment to become new members of Fourth Presbyterian Church 
And it is with gratitude to God that we welcomed eight new members at a session meeting held earlier this morning. So I'm going to invite them to come forward in just a moment. And for those of you who are joining us online, you will also see their faces on the screen. But I do hope and invite all of you to welcome them in the days and months or even today and to help them feel a sense of belonging in this community. May we be curious about them and greet them and help them recognize that they are truly a part of our church family. So friends, when I call your name, I invite you to come forward and to stand here along the chancel steps. So joining today by profession of faith, Ethan Housecamp, Yinna Lee, Alyssa Wickman, Joining today by reaffirmation of faith, you're welcome to come a little further over. <laughs> Joining today by reaffirmation of faith, Molly Bowen and Patrick Martin. And joining today by letter of transfer, Kim Thomas, Lindsay Wall, and Andrew Wickman. So friends, I have a few questions for you to answer as you reaffirm your faith. Do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and do you promise to be Christ's disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love? If so, please say, I do. And do you promise to share faithfully in the worship and work of this congregation, giving of yourselves in every way? And do you promise to seek the fellowship of the church wherever you may be? If so, please say, I do. And now Nikki Drake, a member of our church's session, has a question for all of us as a congregation. Will you, I think will you the entire congregation of Fourth Presbyterian Church, promise to welcome these new members, learning to love them, abiding with them, including them as a family, supporting them on their faith journeys, and encouraging them to use their gifts for God's work in this world? If so, please say, we will. We will. So friends, I have a brief charge for you. We are so grateful to welcome you as part of our church family, but we also hope that you will be generous with all of the gifts that God has given to each one of you. I invite you to find a place in the life of this congregation where you experience the love of Christ deeply, but also to turn around and to share that love with others, whether in service to someone else or in building relationships or in deepening your own faith. This is your church and we are blessed to have you as a part of this community. So friends, let us all warmly and graciously welcome our June new members class. <laughs> you may be seated. And as we continue on in this service, let us lift up in prayer. Holy and gracious Lord, we are in a time of our church life that we refer to sometimes as ordinary time. We also know that what is going on in our lives and in our wider world feels anything but ordinary. We do lift up prayers that after another tumultuous Weekend surrounding the war in Ukraine, we continue to pray for an end to that war that has affected millions, those who have had their lives and livelihoods turned upside down, 
as well as all those who have faced similar humanitarian crises in Myanmar and South Sudan, Yemen, and Afghanistan. We do long, too, for a summer in which all of Chicago would be free from gun violence, particularly for our children and youth. And we mourn all of the families who have tragically lost loved ones to that crisis. We lift up families struggling to make ends meet outside of the headlines, those who are feeling the daily burden of rising costs as they try to provide and care for their families, and those who are uncertain about what that future might hold for them. And Holy God, we know you have called each one of us to be part of your answer to the great need that is present in this world, that we'd be holding one another in prayer, sharing what we have, and living lives defined by compassion and caring. We do truly long to make an impact, whether in changing some of the seemingly intractable problems present in our world, to extending care and support and relief to the individual lives they affect. Yet we also know there are times when doubt creeps in and our belief in a better future, your better future, will waver. So may you help us remember that no matter where we are, what we are doing, ultimately we find our hope and our help in you. Even in the immensity of all of creation, we believe and trust that you hold each one of us in love and know each of us by name. We do give you thanks for that truth on this Pride Sunday, knowing that every single one of us are made in your very image. and We are forever surrounded by your love. As we continue to advocate for a more inclusive vision, both for your church and our wider society, praying for a day when no one would be demonized for who they love or for being who you have created them to be but would instead truly experience a sense of your love surrounding them. And it is because of that love and care you have extended freely to each one of us that we ask you to inspire us through your spirit to offer our own care and compassion to our wider world as well. May your spirit dwell deep within our hearts so that in the words of the Franciscan community, we would each be blessed with enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this world, even when others say it might not be done. We may only be one person and cannot change the world by ourselves, but we are still one person and can change the world more than we may even imagine. And so together we pray for the coming of your kingdom and humbly ask that we would be a part of bringing it into being, just as your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God has shown us the meaning of generosity and the beautiful diversity of creation, in the never-ending gift of the Spirit, and in the promise of new life that Christ brings. So we rejoice in all that God has given us, and in humility we bring offerings to God, trusting and hoping that we would further share the grace and love that has been extended to us. However you choose to give, whether doing so through annual pledging, giving online, or in the offering plates here in the sanctuary, may we give with generous and open hearts. Our morning offering will now be received.
dedicate our offerings in prayer. Holy God, who gives life, nourishment, and strength to all creation, we thank you for the community of faith you have built, for your servants who have held fast to you through centuries, for the teaching and the witness of our ancestors, for the gospel's welcome to all in need, for the healing that comes from your watchfulness. Bless these gifts that all may be nurtured in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. into the world in peace. Have courage, hold on to what is good, return no one evil for evil, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all people, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit go with each of us today and every day. Amen. <laughs>